Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, ho, ho, ho. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, Advanced Sommelier, and so pleased to be in this chilly December month. And uh, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, season's greetings, happy Kwanzaa, and everything else that is so politically correct and incorrect. But uh, it's Happy Hour Radio, so forget that. Let's get happy. Excited about today's show, as I'm excited about every show. Every show on KVI here, 570, Saturdays at 11 to noon. And if uh, you happen to miss a show, don't be afraid to check out our website. That's happyhourradio.net. We've got all the great guests, uh, MP3 files. You can even go to I, uh, iPod, iTunes, and check out Happy Hour Radio and our podcasts. So we're everywhere. We're global. We're uh, interstellar, if you want to just, you know, get uh, big time. And that's us on Happy Hour Radio. So it's the holiday season and uh, time for giving peace and love and joy and lots and lots of gifts and hopefully uh, some bottled stuff, whether you're in the mood for wine or spirits spirits or beers and uh um, or accoutrements and food and uh, wine material uh, equipment. Anything you need is available at our friends down at Esquin Wine and Spirits on 4th and Lander. And uh, you can uh, send some wine to somebody far, far away. You can go to madwine.com. But if you're here local and you want to learn more about wine, I invite you to visit my friend Jeffrey Dorgan, who's the sommelier over at the Space Needle Restaurant. Uh, he's hosting a wine academy, and that takes place in January, and also another class in March. These uh, are wine tastings with great food, lots of information, and certainly lots of fun. Check out spaceneedle.com backslash wine academy and if uh, you want to grab some tickets for another fun event it's february once you've gone off your uh, new year's eve or your new year's diet and uh, all those resolutions come february you're ready to party again uh, the seattle wine and food experience.com is uh, one of the largest if not the largest uh, food eating drinking socializing having lots of fun it's sunday february 22nd Tickets available at SeattleWineAndFoodExperience.com. Well, over the course of this year, we've had a lot of great guests and a lot of great spirits and uh, wines and cocktails and food and authors. And uh, I have not had enough brewers. And I'm really pleased today to have uh, the legend, the man, Dick Cantwell, current head brewer for Elysian Brewing. He's also one of the co-founders. And we're going to chat with him as well as Jason Yerger, who is uh, a young buck here in the uh, brewing world. Um, going to open up a new joint down in Soto called Ghost Fish Brewing Company. But right now, Mr. Cantwell, Dick Cantwell, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So uh, I'm an old Seattle guy. I've been working the restaurant scene since 1983. How long have you been brewing? Professionally since 1990. Ah, got you beat. <laughs> of course, I was only 16 at the time. And I started home brewing, well, not much more than a year before that. I got ah. a job running a brewery, actually, with about a year and a half home brewing experience back then. And uh, what were you doing prior to 1989? 
Well, I uh, was uh, working in restaurants uh, to support my writing habit, because uh, back then I was writing fiction, and now I mostly write about beer. But uh, starting, a, you know, becoming a brewer was kind of my escape from the restaurant business, and now I own four of them. Very cool. Excited about the whole uh, Elysian Brewing Company, and uh, you've got four locations now. But let's talk about, uh, let's go back to home brewing. What was the first beer you made? I made a pale ale. Uh, we In sort of a Luddite vein, we called it Frame Breaker Ale. I started brewing with three friends of mine in the Boston area, and uh, it was pretty good. It was the best beer I'd ever had. Oh, that wasn't that guy. What's the guy's name? Jim somebody, Sam Adams? From Sam Adams, Jim yeah. Cook. Yeah. yeah, Jim Cook. Was he one of your friends? Uh, well, he is one of my friends. Oh. Back then, no, I didn't know him. <laughs> uh, I love it. And uh, the first beer was a pale ale and using uh, otter malts or what kind of? Well, that was an extract beer. Oh, okay. You know, so when you brew with extract, you don't know exactly what the malt is. But, uh, you know, I always encourage people to start with extract so that they don't scare themselves off. Right. Because you know, once you get into grains, it's much more complicated. Splarging. And plenty of time to work into it. Yeah. What was the, and how many home brews did you uh, craft prior to getting that first gig? And... Uh, that's a good question. Probably 50. Really? Because I was brewing once a week. Wow. You know, the challenge with home brewing is what you typically had to drink it all. Well, you have friends, right? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and I guess all my friends wanted to come and drink all my home brews, too. Most of them, anyway. It's about home brewing. One of the things I learned early on, and I was a big home brewer for about two and a half years until I gained 20 pounds, and I said, I got to stop. But... Um, was the actual temperature of fermentation. I think that made a big difference. I remember, you know, going brewing throughout the season, January through December, but come July when it got, or August, it got warm in Seattle, my brew ferments changed a little bit, and uh, it made the, the the beers taste different. Can you tell me about some of that? Yeah, absolutely. When, when, when you ferment at higher temperatures, you're generating esters that really don't create a pleasant flavor. Uh, the esters that are that are created during a more disciplined fermentation are the flavors that you're used to uh, experiencing in in ales, especially uh, peachy, fruity, mango kinds of flavors. Uh, but if you're fermenting real hot, you're going to get higher alcohols that taste sort of astringent and bitter, and just don't and just sort of wreck the balance of what you're doing. There are some fermentations where that's okay. You know, there are Belgian fermentations where that are fermented warmer, and some of those esters that that but that those are different yeasts as well. <clears throat> and of course, a wine fermentation just they let those run, as far as I know. Uh, so, you know, ester production is a, is a different kind of thing in different kinds of fermentations. Very good. Did you study some of this uh, chemical analysis or reaction? Or Well, back then I just read whatever I could and uh, took a course, a little course here and there. I never actually got a brewing education properly. I would have had to quit my job to do it. Uh, but a couple of my guys have gone off to the Siebel Institute uh, in Chicago and in Germany and, and gotten, a, gotten a better education than I ever got. Uh, most of my experience was empirical, you know, so I just uh, learned to like what I did and learn to what to expect when I did certain things again. And in that uh, empirical study, the research you did, um, did you graduate from beer to beer? Did you start with the Coors Lights or the Millers or the Pabst and then and move on? Or are you still on that? Well, to be perfectly honest, yeah. Well, I mean, back then, that's what we all drank. You know, we didn't have much choice. Then, you know, back in the 70s, we were down to about 40 breweries in this country. And now we've got, geez, I don't even know, 2,500? Up, upward, you know, we're getting up toward 3,000. So there's so much more to choose from now. Um, 
No, I mean, these days, I don't go back to that, except to be hilarious. <laughs> to shotgun them? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes you're in the right kind of bar, and that's what you drink. Uh, uh, true, true to that. Speaking with uh, Mr. Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Elysian Brewing Company, and um, your first gig here after you uh, had 50 batches of homebrew in your belt was where? Um, just a few blocks from where we are in the studio right now over at Queen Anne and Thomas. It was a brewery restaurant uh, called Duwamp's Cafe. Um, and that place, unfortunately, only lasted about a year and a half. Uh, I think it was a little ahead of the curve in terms of the way Seattle food was blossoming. Uh, the folks they had a place down in the Napa Valley. So they were pretty sophisticated. And probably the price point was a little higher than people were expecting as well. Uh, but we had a little seven-barrel brewery in there. We made good beer. The food was terrific. Unfortunately, it didn't last. But then I moved on to Pike uh, Place Brewery, um, now known as Pike Brewing, and I worked there for two and a half years. Is that with Charles and Roseanne at the oh, time? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep, wonderful people. Yeah, uh, we had them on the show a couple months ago and uh, loved them. He's uh, got a lot of history in him as well, doesn't oh, yeah. he? Well, I remember Duops, and uh, it, you're exactly right. They made they had great food, and I was in college, just getting out of college back at the time. So, you know, I was on that co- still postgraduate budget. Um, Duops was just like just a little harder to to um, uh, well participate and uh, um, you know enjoy on a regular basis. Uh, but obviously, our our city has changed, and I think it was just probably five or six years before its time, because I think early in that mid-90s, we started to explode with some cool uh, chefs coming in and different profiles of food and, and restaurant styles. And um, uh, your, your third brewery was after Pike. What happened? Where were you then? Um, I was the head brewer at Big Time. In the U District, U District for yes. nearly two and a half years before we started Elysian. In fact, I was working on the business plan pretty much the whole time I was working there. When uh-huh. I was first offered that job, my first thought was, oh, this is kind of awkward. I'm going to be leaving to start my own brewery. But I was there for a respectable length of time. That owner, I remember him. He owned Clifford's. Clifford's? Yeah. What's that? Oh, that was a restaurant just okay. over down <laughs> on uh, uh, someplace. But I remember when I was in college, we used to do a little ad campaign for Big Time Brewing uh, at uh, UW. So very cool. And um, the the first year that you started Elysium Brewing was when? 96. And that, that first location is where? The one on Capitol Hill at 13th and Pike. Um, I love that place, and uh, it's it was that was the new gastropub prior to the except for the gas would begin the in the form of bubbles, I guess. Yeah, and you could take kids there. That was kind of revolutionary at the time too, because I had kids, and the whole time I worked at Big Time, my kids couldn't go in there. I remember when I would go in to check on on fermentations, you know, take specific gravities and all that stuff, like on a holiday, my kids had to wait in my truck. <laughs> so, so many. That's par- illegal now. <laughs> I know. So many parents over the years have said thank you for opening a place where I can take my kids. Yeah, and uh, it's funny how our, our um, well, I don't want to say it's just a puritanical state that we've been in that says we what so many things we can't do, and yet you know, ninety nine percent of the world's been doing this forever. It's just just being in Spain the whole you know recently and seeing how families you know, partake in the daily life is just really uh, enlightening. Yeah, it's part of civilization. (laughs) It's something that we should celebrate, not not hide behind. Interesting enough, I was reading in the newspaper last week um, about when uh, humanoids uh, learn how to digest alcohol. Apparently, ten million dollars. Ten million dollars. Ten million years ago, we uh, uh, created the the new the enzyme that helps us digest alcohol. uh, Was found as, as traces. Ten million years ago. That's like. 10 million years prior to when we started making beer. Mm, yeah. 
Well, excited to have you here today. And uh, how many batches, how many gallons of beer do you think you brewed? Oh, gosh. Uh, <clears throat> I'd have to whip out my calculator. Um, you know, these days I don't do a lot of hands-on brewing anymore, although I still do. I'm still the brewer at uh, our little Tangletown system. So I, every now and then I'll brew 100 gallons of something. Um, <laughs> But gosh, I I, I I have no idea. Um, but you know, as, as far as the other breweries go, I'm now a kind of an unreliable shift employee with all the other stuff that I do. Uh, I do a lot of our marketing. I write all of our materials, so the writing stuff has served me there too. Uh, but boy, you know, you make me want to do that math. Uh, I'm curious about it because I think it's fun to have some of those numbers because you know after uh, well coming on 16 years now you've uh, had made a lot of beer. Well, I've been brewing professionally for almost 25 years. Oh, 25 so, yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah, my math's a little off, yeah. a little fuzzy here. And <laughs> happy hour radio. Uh, excited to speak with Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Elysian Brewing. And now you have four locations right around town. That's right. Uh, our most recent one is the Elysian Bar down at Second and Pike. Uh, that's the only restaurant that we have that doesn't have a brewery in it. Oh, what was that called? Oh, odd. It was the, the Knock Knock. Knock Knock, yeah. yeah. And way back uh, about the time we opened, it was the Art Bar. Yeah, I remember and the Art Bar. something else before that, I'm sure. Um, but that is, uh, that's sort of uh, the food there is a notch or so, uh, you know, kind of above, a little tonier than what we do at our other locations. Because mm. we, we have different menus at all of our locations, different people running them, often a di- usually a different lineup of beers. We, you know, we, it's more fun that way. We take our cues from the neighborhoods. That's great. We want to have personality and to make a few. You know, Seattle or the Northwest loves local. We, you know, I like my Admiral District and I like Queen Anne. We like going in these different little pockets of of civilization here, in our in our Northwest uh, lovely home. How many beers is Elysium Brewing producing? Well, since we opened, we've brewed about three hundred and fifty different beers. So we're always coming out with new beers. Almost a week doesn't go by that we have a, a don't have a new beer. Oh, and so uh, holiday beers, uh, Thanksgiving beers, gravy sure, beers. Sure, I mean, right now, Bifrost Ale, our winter ale, is, is, Bifrost. is available. Yeah, that's our main winter beer. But we usually do six or seven different winter beers because we have, you know, four different brewing locations, and we can do that kind of variety. Yeah. Uh, the Washington Brewers Guild is having their winter beer festival this weekend, and I think we'll be pouring six or seven beers there. I love it. Well, speaking with Dick Cantwell, when we come back from this break, we're going to chat about some more of his great beers and a big project he's got going on with Precept Wine. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Hey, this is Chris Gorman from Gorman Winery, and you are listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. The home of the great one. Mark Levin, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Ho, 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 and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Excited to have uh, my... Well, I'm wetting my whistle and all sorts of beer here today. I've got uh, Jason Yerger, a new brewmaster here, opening up Ghost Fish Brewing Company, which will be down in Soto. But also the man, the myth, the mystery, the legend himself, Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Elysium Brewing, right here. So, Dick, we were chatting about some of those holiday beers, and I like that whole idea of a Bifrost. You know, I'm into Marvel Comics and the whole idea of Thor, and that's the first thing I thought of. Is that related to the Rainbow Bridge? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, when we opened, you know, the Elysian Fields, of course, 
course, is uh, is out of mythology. And so we have sort of borrowed liberally over the years from Greek, Roman, and in that case, Norse mythology. We moved away a little bit from that. We now try to celebrate the uh, the urban myths, you know, like the the characters reinterpreted in, in sort of a Seattle way. Uh, and so that's, but that's a name that has stuck around that we've kept from that mythological past. I like it. Um, and these are, uh, is Elysian do bottled products? And tell me about the whole lineup, the portfolios. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we have, you know, as of uh, three years ago, we have a production brewery down in the Georgetown neighborhood. And so we're producing about 50,000 barrels of beer this year there. And we bottle in both 22 ounce and, and six pack size bottles, 12-ounce bottles. Good. I always like the six, you know, 12-ounce bottles. It's because you, you don't have to find someone to share and you can try more beer, although I've never been afraid. But it's hard to spit beer. We can spit wine, but beer's like, mm, no, I'll swallow it. I've been judging at the Great American Beer Festival for about 20 years, and in all that time, I've seen one judge spit, <laughs> and we made fun of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like I say, it's hard to spit beer. So um, you've got some new projects coming on, and let me tell you a little bit about my brewing history, because uh, I've always got a kick out of sharing some. And when I started, I've been a marketing major and communications major and advertising guy, and I started brewing beer. Uh, my first beer was named after my dog called Bella, so it was called Bella Beer. But after that, I did a, a whole bunch of beers. One of my favorite beers ever made, and I'm surprised I haven't seen it yet, was called Vanilla Bean Stout. It cost me a fortune because vanilla beans are really, really expensive, but it was the most amazing beer. And I, I'm a foodie, I'm a wine guy, and I was really, really proud of that beer, cause especially when you drank it at the right time, because I think beers have an evolution, don't they? Absolutely. One of the big beers, one of the, you know, I like to buy or brew big beers because, you know, alcohol is what we're trying to do back in the, in our early 20s is, you know, how big of a beer can you, can you build um, or brew? And uh, one of my favorite beers was called Dark Diggler. Who made that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. I did. It was a well, really big of, beer. Of course, I get the Boogie Nights reference. That's what it was. Yeah, it's so we call it. It was just a big, beer. Yeah, just okay, a big gotcha. beer. Okay, enough about <laughs> me. Um, tell me, uh, our friends at Precept are great partners in this Happy Hour Radio Show, and uh, I understand you've got uh, some things bubbling away with. Yeah, we've we, we're actually embarking on a whole series of collaborations with the Precept folks. Um, we had a meeting with them uh, a few months ago, and I just thought, sort of thought we were going to kick around the idea of maybe getting together and figuring out a few things. And by the time we st got up from the table, we had like a dozen ideas of, of different projects that we could do. We've got two underway right now, um, you know, because brewers have been borrowing from winemaking techniques in the last, well, since craft brewing started, really, you know, aging beer in barrels and stuff like that. That's the most obvious one. But we're going to be doing a lot of sort of cross-pollination between the two realms. Uh, we've got, I, I brewed up a Tangleton. I brewed a, a, just a three-barrel batch of, a, of Verjoux Berliner Weiss. So I used Verjoux grapes from the Sauvignon Blanc grapes from Willow Quest, Crest Winery and brewed a tart, sour Berliner Weiss beer to add those two. So that'll be real interesting. That's in, still in tank. And then we've also got a Saison that we added uh, Pinot Gris grapes to, and that's going to be called uh, Saison Gris, the other one's Sour Grapes. Uh, we're going to be releasing those, I think, at a party on the 17th at the Elysian Bar. December? And, yep. And okay. The, and the Precept folks will be there. Um, we're also about to do something with Riesling grapes. Down the road, we'll do stuff with wild wild wine fermentations pitched into beer and see how that comes out. We really don't know because, you know, this is all experimental. 
And then and we'll be doing seasonal things along the way, too. We'll probably do uh, a Malbec stout blend, something like that. And then sp- other spontaneous fermentations, different grape varieties, different hop varieties. We'll be doing stuff with wet hops. Um, you know, there's a hop variety. Do you new- say wet hops? Does that mean a fresh hop? Yeah. The stuff, the hops that have not even been dried, that they've been picked directly from the vines. You know, typically I'll go over there two or three times and pick up wet hops for wet hop beers that we do. Have you worked with wet hops prior? Oh, yeah. We do it every year. So you, do, you don't get any vegetal quality, or do you? Well, you you do. You do. And that's one reason that those beers should be drunk very young. Uh-huh. Because as they age, that kind of quality is going to fall apart and not be nearly as desirable, and you'll lose some of those really elusive uh, aromatics. Hmm. You want, we should do a wine, uh, a wine, a beer called White Man Can't Hop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, maybe not. And and when you do all these beers, are these in the uh, well? You the large fermenters, or are you doing a small test batch? Well, so far they've been on the small side, but there's been a lot of interest. Uh, I was talking to the precept guys yes just yesterday uh, about. You know, like Whole Foods wants two packs of some of these things, maybe for next holiday season. It's too late for this year, but maybe next year we'll be coming out with some bottled products. So right now we've just been doing them in three and eight barrel batches, but down the road I think this kind of project probably has some legs. Very exciting, and I'm sure the the Precept family over there is is equally exciting for them to branch out uh, and dabble in other fermentations. Um, What's the biggest beer, the largest, the highest alcohol beer that uh, Elysian producers right now? Well, the biggest one we've made in the last couple of years is our pumpkin barley wine, the Gourd Father. The Gourd Father. Yeah, that's about it. 11%. Uh, and uh, what you have a special yeast there, and what kind of pumpkin do you use, like canned pumpkin? We or? use our regular yeast. Uh, it's pretty alcohol tolerant. It'll go up that high. Uh, sometimes, you know, and this is another thing that we'll do with Precept, we can fool around with, with ye- different yeasts. Uh, but in that case, uh, it's just our regular ale yeast. And the pumpkin we use is a pureed frozen pumpkin that we get from an organic farm down in Oregon, near near Albany, Oregon. Now, do you have to process that at all? Or is it already cooked? Or It's not cooked. It's, it's blanched so that the skin's removed. And then after that, it's pureed and then frozen. We get it in buckets. We've also gotten it in drums. And we one time we had to get it in 2,300-pound totes. <laughs> but we add it at three different stages in the process. We add it in the mash, so we get some reduction of some of that starchy material into fermentable sugar. Is that an adjunct kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's technically an adjunct. Uh, then we also add some to the kettle, so we get some caramelization from some of the sugars that are in the mm. in the pumpkin. And then we also add some directly to the fermenter, and it ferments like crazy. There's nothing left. Wow, interesting dry pumpkin. I'm curious about that. But um, in all of the grains or the starches you use or the, the malt, is that um, all grain or is it? do you have a oh, yeah. mix? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we use our, our base malt is Northwest Premium Two Row from Great Western Malting, and we use a lot of different specialty malts from really all, all over the world. How long does malt last uh, in the liquid form? In the liquid form? You mean yeah. when they've made malt, malt extract syrup. out yeah, of it? Extract. Well, they can it, so it lasts indefinitely. Okay. You know, you open it up, and it's going to start to... Break down, of course. All right, and dry malt lasts a good long time. Yeah, I still got a ten-pound jar from my days brewing from Liberty Malt, and I was, you know, hoping to do a pancake feed or something, or maybe brew some more beer. Yeah, it's probably still good unless the can's bulging. No, it's yeah, exactly. Look out for that. Uh, Excited to speaking with uh, Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Leesian Brewing, and uh, also coming up um, next segment will be Jason Yerger, the brewmaster, who's brought some of his um, test batches, the Ghostfish Brewing Company, Um, but looking ahead 
Dick, what has been one of your favorite beers all time? If you can like name one or two or three or however many that really had turned you on, and go, you know what? I'm really proud of that. Well, jumping back to uh, the the Norse mythology, one of our sort of legendary beers that's that has its great loyal following, and it's about time for us to brew it again. Is called is the Loki Lager. It's a sort of a hoppy Dortmund style beer. Um, we've made some beers lately. I mean, right now there uh, we just brought out a uh, in a year round fashion a, a an IPA called Space Dust, and that's that's truly one of my favorite beers that we've ever brewed. <laughs> Space uh, Dust, yeah, that's going to be a year round beer for us. It's a fairly fiercely hopped IPA with Citra and Amarillo hops in it. Interesting. And uh, so, what ratio? Um the IBUs in those citrus and amarillo hops. I mean, is, are those the highest IBUs, or how do you? Do you... Well, it's it, the IBUs. You know, are determined by how much you use, and each hop, each hop, each harvest has a different rating for the amount of alpha acids that it contributes to the process and to the finished beer. So uh, there are super high alpha hops, higher than citra and amarillo for sure, that are mostly just used for bittering. Uh, amarillo happens to happens to have a fairly high alpha rating year in year out. Uh, but it's but it's all in how much you use and 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 how much, just you know what what sort of punch they pack. Interesting. And uh, I remember using Chinook hops and Kent Golding hops and Cascade hops and things like that. And I understand the hop world will be stressed a little bit because we're running out of hops or we're brewing too much beer. Or? Well, we're certainly not brewing too much beer. We're going to be brewing more beer, too. Everybody is. Um, you know, there was a big hop crisis several years ago that made things very difficult. You know, it was like everything that could go wrong went wrong that one year. And there's there's all these days that it's it's got to be very carefully managed. Part of it is that there are so many new brewers. You yeah. know, there are new brewers all the time, and those of us who have been around for a while are growing. We're all growing, and craft brewing is growing like crazy, taking market share away from the big brewers. And the craft brewers use a vastly disproportionate amount of the aroma hops that we all love. Yeah. Well, um, I like that uh, breakdown of what's happening in the hop world. Uh, when we come back from this break, we'll chat more with Dick Cantwell, and then we'll start breaking into some uh, tall boys over here with Jason Yerger, the brewmaster of Ghost Fish Brewing Company. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. And if you got a tweet, you want to tweet us, it's at Happy HR Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dennis Cakebread with Cakebread Sellers. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. He's live. He's here. Sean Hannity. Weekdays, noon to 3, only on Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. Ho, 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 and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Excited to have Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Elysian Brewing. And coming up is Jason Yerger, the new brewmaster for Ghost Fish Brewing Company down in Soto. Uh, looking ahead, we've got some fun events coming up. Uh, obviously, the Seattle Wine and Food Experience is in February, February 22nd. Uh, those tickets make great gifts. Um, if you want to give someone the uh, gift of wine education, check out my friend uh, Jeffrey Dorgan, the sommelier of the Space Needle. He's got the Wine Academy up there. Great wine, great food, lots of great education. That's happening in January and March, and you can sign up at spaceneedle.com backslash wine academy and uh, Dick we were just talking about hops um, in the future do you have uh, some plans for expanding your Elysian Empire 
Well, we, uh, you know, we, we've just did a big expansion this summer by doubling the fermentation capacity at our airport way brewery. So that's probably going to do us for a couple of years. I mean, um, yeah, I suppose we should be thinking about the next one. Uh, we distribute right now in 11 states, and we're probably going to be going into California before too long. Uh, so uh, nothing too drastic, but California is a big, you know, piece to, chew, to bite off. So that, that will keep us busy for a while, too. California and uh, the craft brewing explosion. Um, are we going to have a craft brewers conference here, or have we had one already? Did well, there's it? there's going to be the craft brewers conference this next year is in Portland, so that's pretty close. Oh. Uh, I'm hoping we get it back in Seattle. It was here in 2006 and 1997 as well. Um, but um, you know, every year it comes up for discussion. You know, at the Brewers Association, and I always do what I can to try to encourage them to bring it back here. Are you on the board, or do you have a capacity? I was. I was on the board on the BA board for seven years. Uh, but then, you know, there are term limits there too, and and uh, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't run again. Uh, we uh, I was a brew pub member, but then we changed categories to being a packaging brewery. But I'm still pretty well connected there. My girlfriend Kim Jordan is the CEO of uh, New Belgium. And she's on the board, so I hear what's go- what goes on. That's a long-distance relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And uh, in your election, can can those board members take lobbyist money from uh, <laughs> super super hops or super packs? Uh, no. No, okay. Well, good stuff. Exciting stuff. Um, that Brewers, uh, the big brew festival is today. It's to happen last night and today. And where is it at? Tell me all about it. Uh, over at Magnuson Park, at one of the hangar buildings there. Uh, 50, 50 Washington breweries bringing all their winter beers, and you know there's sort of a side competition for the coolest uh, booth that people put together. We've got an 80s neon ski party theme, uh, but and we've got probably six or seven beers pouring. Well, yeah, definitely six or seven beers pouring. Yeah. Um, it's it's always a great time. It's, it's very festive. It's a good festival. Magnuson Park up by uh, Sandpoint, right? That's right. And uh, you can just walk up, grab some tickets, show your ID. Yeah, there will be tickets available. And it's uh, indoors, so it'll be warm. That's right. I love it. Well, it's today. Great. Well, Dick Cantwell, stick around. Uh, let's chat with Jason Yerger of Ghostfish Brewing Company. Try some of his uh, tasty little beers. But, Jason, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you're a young buck. How did you get the uh, brewing bug? Well, um, I was a big beer drinker pretty much ever since I was old enough to beg my dad for a sip of his beers. And, um, you know, in college is when I really started to get into craft beer. Um, I went to UC Santa Cruz down in uh, Central California and uh, fortunate that that town is a really big beer drinking town. So I had no shortage of like craft beer bars to, you know, learn the ropes on. But, uh, Around the time I turned about 25, I was diagnosed with celiac disease, which was kind of, uh, you know, I thought basically the death knell of my craft beer no appreciation. You and Stone Gossard, right? Is that Stone or who's got it? One of the Pearl Jam guys. Search me. I'm not exactly up on all the celebrities with celiac disease, but anyway, uh, long story short, I, I basically... I tolerated a beerless existence for about a couple years after that diagnosis, and at some point I just decided, you know what, to heck with this, I'm going to find a way. And I started getting really seriously into home brewing and, uh, you know, kind of the the science behind trying to brew a gluten-free beer, and uh, at the time I was in a, a graduate school program for traditional Chinese medicine. So I took a lot of the um, the research, research um, resources that I had through that program to really get in depth with the food science and the brewing science, 
and a lot of the uh, other like health journals about celiac disease and you know uh, after a while I realized I was spending more time reading about brewing than I was reading about medicine and kind of <laughs> decided it was time for a career change well, I love it. Necessity is the mother of all invention, and uh, congratulations on uh, creating a, something that I, I know many people will certainly appreciate, uh, myself included, because I tend to have a little couple intolerances to, to things like, uh, you know, wheat and stuff like that. But uh, Ghost Fish Brewing Company, where did this name come from? That actually, um, there's a lot of mystery around our namesake. Um, one of my business partners, uh, Brian Teal, he lives down on the Puget Sound. Um, he's like literally right on the water. His backyard is the Sound. And uh, he was out there drinking with a buddy of his one night and went back inside. And his buddy came in like freaked out like he had just seen something in the water like he couldn't believe it. Something glowing, something mysterious and kind of became a running joke like, oh, there's a ghost fish out there. And uh, Brian thought he was just pulling his leg until uh, a couple weeks later he saw the same thing himself. And you know that kind of just stuck with them so when it came time to name the brewery you know we threw around a lot of different names but ghost fish was the one that stuck oh so they weren't drinking so much they called it toast fish right they weren't... <laughs> <laughs> uh very cool i like that there's always a story behind uh, some cool name and uh, congratulations on yours so you have a brewery um it's going to be in soto tell me about this uh, so we are in the Gorlick building, which if you've ever driven down First Avenue Is South... Is that Kenny's building? Yes, sir. <laughs> which we didn't know when we signed the lease. It was kind of an interesting bit of trivia, but... Yeah, anybody who's ever driven down First Avenue South has probably seen this thing. It's got these huge glass facades on the front with this weird kind of sloped roof. Uh, it's right across from the Westland Distillery. But Oh, yeah. Um, it, our space used to be uh, a nightclub called Habana Soto. It was kind of a Cuban-themed. And, you know, when we moved into the space, one of the things that attracted us to it is it had a full bar and a full kitchen all built out. And the, the old dance floor was just about perfect for a brew floor. So... We've kind of renovated it and buried all the Cuban artifacts, but, uh, you know, it was definitely a sweetheart of a space. I like it. So that'll be an archaeological site someday because, God, we have a Cuban... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you peel off some of the paint. <laughs> so fun. Well, congratulations, and your brewery will open up when? Um, I'd love to be able to give you a date for it right now, but we're kind of in the end stages of our licensing procedure, and you never really know when the TTB is going to get back to you or the health department. Everything is pretty much in place with the construction. Our system's installed. We're putting the finishing touches on the decor and all that. So at this point, it's just a matter of passing the final inspections. Exciting. And Exciting. So you've already started brewing beer. And uh, how many beers have you started brewing, and what are they called? Well, I've mostly been working on three different styles, just getting those really dialed in. Um, we've got uh, a stout, which is going to be our first release, called Watchstander Stout. And uh, it is, to my knowledge, the first gluten-free stout that has ever been commercially brewed. Um, and then beyond that, we also have a pale ale called Vanishing Point, which is a classic Northwest pale ale. Uh, lots of hops, balanced malt character. And lastly, we've got a Belgian-style wit beer, which was uh, definitely a long shot for us because you, when you think wit beer, you think wheat. And this beer has no wheat or barley in it, so... It was kind of, uh, took a lot of work, but we got it down. And so how many batches was that? Oh, gosh. Um, the stout took about 30 different iterations. Wow. Uh, the pale ale, probably 23, and the wit beer, 
Uh, maybe 25. And did you just read about different grains, alternative grains, or did you practice? Both. Okay. Um, really, the reading didn't take me very far because there's just not a lot of people out there doing the research. And I've actually, my experience has contradicted a lot of what I read in some of these research articles. Um, for instance, millet, uh, which is our main base malt, actually works almost exactly like barley in terms of mash temperatures. You have to mash it a little bit longer due to the lack of enzymes. Well, not lack, just lower amount. But everything I'd read up to that point suggested that you had to do some kind of crazy decoction mash, you know, multiple temperature steps and all that. And, you know, we just tried it one day. Well, let's see what happens if we treat it like barley. And it worked even better than all the, you know, scientifically inspired procedures. I like that. And um, millet, it's one of those uh, malign grains. I'm not sure in my birds eat it in my bird feeder. I think that's the one they kick out, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the most popular grain as far as, um, you know, food consumption here in the United States. Most people Hopefully see that it. makes it cheap. Uh, not exactly. Oh. The grain itself is cheap. Getting it malted is a bit uh, a bit. Pricier. Ah, that makes sense. Well, uh, Jason Yerger, stick around. I, I know you've uh, cracked open some of these very colorful beers. I'm excited to have taste them myself, to nose them, and have a little input from Dick Cantwell. So stick around, everybody. We'll be coming right back with Jason Yerger, brewmaster of Ghost Fish Brewing. Hello, I'm John Patterson with Patterson Sellers. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. Breaking down the big stories. Glenn Beck, weekdays 9 to noon on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chen. Ho, 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 and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Excited to have Dick Cantwell, the head brewer for Elysium Brewing in studio, and also the young buck, the man, Jason Yerger, brewmaster for Ghost Fish Brewing, which will be uh, opening up down in Soto on First Avenue rather soon, I imagine, in January for sure. Uh, Jason, you've brought three lovely beers here. Looks like a pale ale, a uh, a Belgian-style beer, and a stout. Um, Let's taste them. Tell me about this first beer. What's it called? Okay, the first beer is Vanishing Point. Pale Ale. Um, It's made with about 75% millet malt um, that comes in three different roasts, a pale, a Vienna, and a light roast, and the rest of the grain bill is made up of brown rice. It's got four different varieties of hops. It's bittered with warrior, and the aroma hops are Palisade, Chinook, and Liberty. Oh, um, I just took a sip. I love the mouthfeel. I think the mouthfeel has got some... uh, texture, very creamy on the palate. It's light, but it's got a great um, complexity on the finish. Dick, as a uh, tasting professional, as a judge, tell us what you think of this beer. I'm, I'm very impressed by it. I think it really shows off its its ingredients. That I've never had a beer that was mostly made from millet before, and it's really it's a real eye-opener. It's nice and dry, but it does have a good, it does have some mouthfeel. It's got really nice hop character. It's unique. Yes, it is. And um, I tell you, I, I'm really sensitive to corn and wheat and uh, barley. Um, and this, I, I can tell, as soon as I taste something, it's like a little uh, reaction for me. And I love that this is a peaceful moment. This is like, ah, my body's going, hmm, very nice. <laughs> very nice. And um, so you've brewed a test batch for this. Will you brew more, obviously, when you got the new place going? Oh, of course. All yeah, right. 
These are our three flagships, so we're going to be brewing the heck out of these. Great. And the name again of this pale ale is called? Vanishing Point. Vanishing Point. So tell us about this. the next beer. This is the Belgian beer. Yeah, so this is a Shrouded Summit. It's a Belgian-style wit beer, and it is brewed with 75% pale millet, um, 15% malted buckwheat, and the rest is made up with brown rice. Mm. Hops or no hops? Yeah, there are hops. Uh, the bittering hop is crystal, and the aroma is Mount Hood. Interesting. So Belgian beers are known for this fruity profile, right? And how do you get that fruit? Is that from the yeast? Yes. Uh, that is from a particular strain of yeast, and we are somewhat limited in our yeast selection as a gluten-free brewery because we can't use anything cultured on a barley medium. But there is a large variety of dried yeasts that are available gluten-free now, so we're fortunate that there's a good uh, Belgian wit yeast out there for us. Well, I, I, you know, the, my challenge with Belgian beers have always been they've been a little too fruity, a little bit too uh, esoteric and aromatic for me to really appreciate, but I think this has captured that right medium where you've got uh, some structure but also the aromas. Dick? Yeah, it's a hybrid. Um, you know, the, the wit beers, of course, traditionally have wheat in them, and, you know, if it's a gluten-free beer, you're not going to have wheat in it. Um, and so this is, once again, is a millet beer. Uh, but that yeast carries the esters that you identify with that style. So it's a nice sort of straddler of, the, of what it is, a gluten-free beer, with that profile that the Belgian beer will create. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. I think that's it's very pleasant, and uh, because I think sometimes when we drink beer, most people are like, okay, I've drank enough beer, it's going to be fit in this sort of uh, parameter, and the, the Belgian styles, or the, even the Lambic styles, and, mm-hmm. and those fruity style beers are just a little bit more um, off the uh, the mainstream where, where our mind can gra- wrap around it, but I think this just has got uh, all of the... Um, just enough bells and whistles to make it shiny and get you attracted to it, but it's really um, a well-balanced, uh, flavorful, textbook-style beer. Thank you. If I can say that. All right, last beer. Tell us about this one. Okay, this is Watchstander Stout, and this is going to be our first release. Uh, it is the first of its kind, as far as we know. Uh, it's brewed with three different types of roasted millet, including a black patent millet, um, as well as two different types of roasted buckwheat and a little hint of dark Belgian candy syrup, bittered with Columbus hops and a little bit of Willamette hops just to give it some fruitiness on the nose. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you're not even reading off notes, and you've done this enough, so you can, you've can you dialed into this particular wine. And for stout lovers, even for big porter lovers, um, this has got uh, enough body and uh, a finish and character and smoky and chocolate and um, Dick, tell us about this beer. Well, the thing I like about all these beers is their balance. And this is a nicely balanced beer. Um, you know, it's, it's got the dark, roasty aroma. Uh, once again, it's got a good amount of body. And black patent millet? Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> that stuff has amazing color. You wouldn't believe it. It's I like, am going to try some of this stuff. Yeah. Really, this is, a, this is a real eye-opener. I've done a lot of crazy beers and used unusual grains and ingredients and stuff, but I've never done millet. Well, perhaps this will be the dawn of a new era. <laughs> wow. Well, this has been a real treat. Um, pleasure to, to have you in studio, Dick Cantwell. And uh, Jason Yerger, congratulations on, on finding a niche and really running with it. Uh, you got a website? Yeah, uh, ghostfishbrewing.com. We're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter. All Ooh. right. Look for it. Um, these beers are tasty. I'm glad you brought them in. So happy to have both of you. Uh, season's greetings, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and thank you for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Folks, look forward to seeing you next week on this dial. And remember, life's always better with a designated driver. Cheers, y'all. 